set list to the Music Business Podcast from CMU. This week, Travis Scott's thumbs get him into trouble. Welcome to Setlist, the music business podcast from CMU. I'm Andy Malt. With me is Chris Cook. Hello, Chris. Hello there. As ever, we are going to be taking a look back at some of the biggest and most interesting music industry news stories of the last week. A week when Global Radio announced the launch of a new 24-7 dance music radio station, which might be relevant to our discussion last week. Yes, so on last week's set list, for those of you who were here, you will remember. For those of you who weren't here, well, I'm not sure I want to talk to you, so you can just all go away. Because if you weren't here last week, we don't want you here this week. Hey, come on, listener retention. <laughs> we don't just want... <laughs> That's not how we start. We don't just want the people who dip in and dip out. We're only <laughs> interested in the people who tune into every single edition from beginning to end. And assuming that that is you listening, you will remember avidly that last week we talked about the fact that BBC had launched this service called Radio 1 Dance which sits within the BBC Sounds app it basically aggregates various dance music specialist shows and some mixes from the BBC archives to be a genre specific channel if you like within the BBC Sounds app but that wasn't all we were talking about because if that is all we had spoken about that would just have been blatant promo for the BBC and we're not in the business of doing blatant promo for the BBC. What we were interested in last week was the commercial radio sector's response to that announcement. Yeah, we were, because the commercial radio sector were not happy about it, were they? Their big trade body, Radio Centre, put out a statement saying that this was just stepping on their turf. You know, the the commercial radio sector has a, a long and storied history of serving the dance music community with everything they could possibly want in terms of dance music. And the BBC setting up this 24-hour service on its BBC Sounds app, well, that was just not on. And as well as that, the MP Andy Carter, who is the head of the All-Party Parliamentary Group for Commercial Radio, also put in a complaint to Ofcom, saying that it should investigate not only this new 24-hour dance music service, but also the BBC Sounds app as a whole, because he reckoned that that is now stretching well beyond its public service remit and it needs to rein it in. So that was last week's news on Setlist and it was interesting because we are always interested when the BBC launches new services, we're interested in the evolution of BBC Sounds, we're interested when commercial media organisations hit out at the BBC or accuse the BBC of abusing its privileged licence fee funded position to then go into head-to-head competition with the commercial sector and personally... I'm, well, uh, half my time I'm defender of the BBC and I'm like, oh, shut up, commercial radio. That's a great BBC service. What are you moaning about? And then the other half of the time I'm sort of like, actually, do you know what? you got a good point (laughs) because the BBC (laughs) does quite frequently empire build into areas where really it shouldn't and you sense it's only doing it because people who work there have some ambitions that they want to pursue and they'd rather do it at the licence fee payers' expense than putting their own money on the table. But because of all of that, and of course the fact that the BBC is becoming ever more political and there's all the rumours flying around that uh, Boris Johnson's government and his advisor Dominic Cummings want to uh, radically alter the BBC, maybe not in the next couple of years, but at some point in the future. So all of those things are constantly on the go. We're interested in them. And so that's why, because there was a music-relevant development in that story we spent most of last week's set list talking about it although we must admit at the time although we didn't say it on the podcast we did sort of think 
off podcast, it's interesting that the commercial radio sector specifically picked this BBC service to hit out at. And also, I mean, the BBC announced the service one day. Andy Carter MP put out his objection the next day. Radio Centre the day after that. And then Ofcom clearly felt the need to respond very quickly because it put out its response very quickly. And so there was part of it was like, well, I, I wonder why this specific service has had such a, a big immediate response from the lobbyists for commercial radio and their supporters and champions in Parliament. And then lo and behold, within a week, we find out that Global Radio, I think still the biggest commercial radio company in the UK, although Bauer is expanding and, and, and could well be getting as big quite soon, but Global I think still the biggest commercial radio company in the UK announced that a brand new service called Capital Dance is going live and it is the first. And actually, they've headhunted Mr. Jam, who used to do shows for One Extra and Radio One. And shortly after all the hoo-ha around Radio One Dance announced that he was leaving the BBC. It turns out he's going to Global. He's going to be the front person for this new Capital Dance station. And in his quote, he talked about how Capital Dance is the first UK dance music radio station, which, well, that's him saying, well, Radio 1 Dance isn't a radio station, A, because it's just re-aggregating other content, B, because you can only access it through the BBC Sounds app, whereas this new Capital Dance station, you can also access on the DAP digital platform. So basically, if you are one of those people who don't listen to every edition of Setlist, well, you now know that what you've got to do before you listen to any more editions is go back through the archive and listen to any that you missed or that you decided not to listen to. <laughs> and when you're listening to last week's set list, generally when we were talking about there being dance music programming in commercial radio, we specifically talked about KISS, which is owned by Bauer. But whenever we mentioned KISS FM or KISS 100 or whichever of the brands we were using, you can imagine we were actually saying capital dance and that we we were ahead of our time in recognising why <laughs> Radio 1 dance in particular had pissed off the commercial radio sector. Yeah, but that is not what we are here to talk about this week. No, we're not talking about that this week. So forget everything we've just said because we're not talking about it this week. We've picked two interesting lawsuits to talk about this week. And whereas quite often on set list, we pick complicated lawsuits where we have to then explain some complex copyright or legal stuff to, for you to understand the lawsuit. That isn't really the case this time. They're just kind of fun lawsuits. So we're going to talk about two music relevant lawsuits that were filed, obviously, in the American courts in the last seven days. That was a really good way of saying nothing happened in the last week. Well, nothing that wasn't an ongoing story that is not complete yet that we've already talked about that doesn't need re-explaining. I think is is what's happened. The Epic v Apple stuff is still happening. Uh, the uh, the TikTok stuff is still happening, but it's all ongoing. Nothing really has changed that much, and so there's no point going over it now. There, so oh, I suppose the the live music industry is still collapsing, but I mean that's an ongoing story, isn't it? Maybe we'll we'll do a, we'll do a, a memorial issue when it finally collapses. Well, that could be next week, as the way it's going at the moment. Well, it could be. Touch wood, not. Also, as we've said before, whenever we record an episode of Setlist talking about the music industry hitting out at the government's COVID support plans, the government makes an announcement almost as soon as we've recorded it. So we're not risking that again. We've learned our lesson. <laughs> Just know that by the time you hear this, there might not be a live music industry. So instead of all of that, we've picked these two interesting lawsuits. They're not huge, massive stories. They shouldn't take us that long to talk through, but they are quite 
interesting and in one case, I think one case, quite amusing as well. So let's let's get into these lawsuits. Yes, so later on we will be discussing Yoko Ono's lawsuit against the former personal assistant of John Lennon over his brazen discussion of John Lennon in public. But first, Travis Scott has got himself sued by a gaming accessory company called Control Freak, which says that him and his label Cactus Jack have ripped off one of its products. These are things called thumbsticks, which are attachments that you can put on your uh, gaming controller to give you more thumb control. I don't I think we've discussed previously, I don't really play games. Anyway, thumbsticks. They're things that go on your thumbs and they're sticks. And uh, Travis Scott has been selling them. This company, Control Freak, sells them. But Control Freak says in its lawsuit that not only did Travis Scott rip off the company's idea, but also it copied them very closely, so closely that people think that they are, in fact, Control Freak's products. And that is a problem because... Although they look similar, they're in fact very badly made. Yeah, so Travis Scott is yet to respond to this lawsuit. So we we only have one side of this story, but it's quite an amusing story. So let's very quickly tell you the version of events according to this company, Control Freak, who, as you say, makes these sort of gaming accessories like thumbsticks. And so what it says is that earlier this year, now this bit isn't contentious because we know this, earlier this year, Travis Scott did one of those innovative everyone gets excited about shows actually i think he did a number of shows within the game Fortnite. yes so a virtual show for his fans within the Fortnite world and so the allegation is when travis scott did this show this much hyped show within Fortnite, which lots and lots of people were tuning in because the assumption is that the most of the people tuning in to a virtual gig within Fortnite are going to be gamers and gaming fans because that's how they got there apparently the allegation is Travis Scott and his team and his label, which is called Cactus Jack, decided, well, we really ought to have some gaming nonsense, some Cactus Jack branded gaming nonsense that we can flog through our website to all of these gamers tuning into the show. And so what this company, Control Freak, are saying is that was a decision that they had made. It was probably quite a last minute decision. I think that's implied rather than overtly stated. But The key claim is, on Control Freak's side, that once they've made this decision, because they didn't actually have any gaming nonsense to sell, they grabbed a photo of Control Freak's thumbsticks. They then photoshopped the Cactus Jack logo onto that photo, put that photo onto Travis Scott's website or whatever, and said, we have Cactus Jack thumbsticks, you can pre-order them. And then they started taking orders for those thumbsticks, even though at that point they didn't exist. And the photo that was being used to sell them was in fact a Control Freak thumbstick with a Cactus Jack logo photoshopped onto it. Now, Control Freak noticed this and they went to Travis Scott's team and complained and said, you've just photoshopped your logo onto our product but you're not selling our product what's going on and they said well you know what we haven't actually made them yet how about you make them for us that would be a good deal for all of us wouldn't it and then they put down their deal what they were kind of proposing control freak did and that was to make the products for free with cactus jack branding on it and then they could sell them and uh, everyone would be happy I can't see any problem with that deal. Yeah, we don't know the exact specifics of what it was that uh, 
Scott and Cactus Jack actually proposed. I mean, I suppose, although that seems outrageous, that having (laughs) nicked photos of products from this company and then this company rightly complains and they say, well, here's a solution. Why don't you do a load of work for us for free? Well, I guess was they thinking like, look, we're already promoting this. It's going to look bad. People think it's your product. It's going to look bad for you if you don't supply them. So you might as well just give them to us. Well, I suppose... I don't know. Well, that's... No, I'm just speculating now. Uh, presumably, mm. their thinking is, when you're the management team of an artist like Travis Scott, you are used to companies coming to you, begging you to allow them to put his or the Cactus Jack logo onto their products and being willing to, to pay a lot of money to do that. So maybe they were... Well, like the McDonald's thing, that was the recent Cactus Jack partnership, wasn't it? He, he put his name to a McDonald's meal. It was weird. But, uh, you know, people want Travis Scott's name on things. And usually they pay an awful lot of money for it. And as much as Travis Scott tried to cover up that with the McDonald's deal and waffled on about how he loved (laughs) the particular combination of McDonald's foodstuffs that now had his name attached to it. I mean, obviously, we all know that's bullshit. They've just (laughs) written him a very large cheque. And that's why he's flogging McDonald's. So... I suppose their thinking is, well, hang on a second. Usually companies come to us, offer us loads of money to put their logo onto products, and then we do a deal. So they were sort of saying, well, rather than you write us a big check, why don't you make the products for free? And I mean, we don't actually know if they were saying make them for free and completely lose money or whether they were saying, well, you should make all of these products, but then you can sell them and we can sell them and then maybe you'll make your money back. We don't don't know the specifics, but I mean, (laughs) without the specifics and without the context of how brand partnerships work in the music industry, it does sort of sound like Travis Scott and Cactus Jack were just being (laughs) outrageous. And whatever the specifics of that deal was, the thing we do know is that Control Freak didn't want to do that deal. No, and so Control Freak says it walked away from that deal and said, no thanks. And then still, the products were shipped out to all the people who had pre-ordered them. So someone made them. We're not sure who. But the one thing Control Freak says they do know is that they are not very good quality, but they look enough like the Control Freak thumbsticks that people think they're Control Freak thumbsticks. And as a result, it's making them look bad. Yeah, they're saying not only did Travis Scott use their pictures when initially promoting this product, not only do the thumbsticks look quite like the thumbsticks that Control Freak sell, they said they also nicked some of the sort of the copy that comes on Control Freak's packaging about what you might want to do with these thumbsticks. And I think you know, they talk about, oh, well, this thumbstick's particularly good for grip and this thumbstick's particularly good for control. And they've copied all of that nonsense stuff that they put on the side of the packaging. <laughs> and so, yeah, they're basically saying, not only did you rip us off, not only did you rip off our pictures, not only did you rip off our copy, but quite a lot of people think that these are actually control freak products that we have done a deal and so therefore not only are we annoyed that you ripped us off we're also annoyed that our brand our reputation is being damaged and some travis scott fans have been getting their thumbsticks saying these aren't very good and then saying ah control freak i've really dropped the ball on this these thumbsticks aren't very good so that is why they went legal and they're basically looking for any money that Travis Scott has made by selling these thumbsticks, they want any of the thumbsticks that have not yet been sold to be destroyed. And of course, they would like some lovely damages on top. As we say, Travis Scott and Cactus Jack are yet to respond to this. They may, as yet, come out with a perfectly plausible alternative side to this 
story that perfectly explains everything and makes them look good and Control Freak look bad. But at the moment, the way Control Freak tells it, it doesn't really look that good for Travis Scott and his team. Maybe they could send to the Control Freak team a week supply of Travis Scott McDonald's meals <laughs> and that will placate them in the same way that I mean another little legal squabble that was quite fun in the last week that we're not actually talking about today was the one between the Doobie Brothers and Bill Murray where Bill Murray the comedy actor of course has is it a golfing golfing uh, apparel that's company. right so clothes that you might want to wear on the golf course and he's been using a Doobie Brothers track in some promo for that without getting a license. And the Doobie Brothers lawyer sent quite an amusing letter complaining about this to Bill Murray, which obviously also got leaked to the Hollywood Reporter so we could all read it and laugh at it. And Bill Murray's legal team sent back a legal letter. I mean, they were trying to be funny as well. They weren't as funny. It was not as amusing. They were they trying... Back. They were trying, and it didn't really get the point across either. So they f they failed on both counts. But one of the jokes in the letter, I assume it was meant to be a joke. I mean, it wasn't funny, but then none of the jokes in this letter were, was, what if we send you a load of Bill Murray's golfing shirts? Maybe that will make up for the fact that we haven't properly licensed the Doobie Brothers track. So maybe Travis Scott's legal team could say to this gaming accessory company, what if we give you a load of McDonald's food, Travis Scott meals, we're all good. We will see. That said, as I, as I remember, the Travis Scott McDonald's partnership was only for a month, and that month is now up. Oh. So that would be some... <laughs> I mean, I know McDonald's food stays kind of as is for an alarmingly long time and doesn't go off, but still, I think uh, <laughs> if that food turned up, it might seem like an insult. Here's some food that we didn't sell, and now you can eat it. So a double insult, because it would be an insult even if it was super fresh food right in the middle of the promotion. Anyway, I think what we're trying to say here is Travis Scott is yet to respond to this lawsuit. We await that response with interest. And finally, you might be aware that this week marked what would have been the 80th birthday of John Lennon had he not been killed 40 years ago. And so there's a lot of interest around that milestone. So his son, Sean Lennon, did a documentary for BBC Radio 2 in which he interviewed Paul McCartney. So that's an interesting thing. But I think there have been lots of articles and interviews and things going on in the media about John Lennon's 80th birthday. And one of the people who spoke about it recently was the former personal assistant of John Lennon, Frederick Seaman, who gave an interview last month about his time working for the late Beatle. Though that interview has now resulted in legal action because it turns out back in 2003, he lost another legal battle in which he ended up promising never, ever, 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 ever to speak publicly about his time working for John Lennon ever again. Yeah, so this interview that this guy, Frederick Seaman, gave last month has reignited what is nearly a 40-year legal battle between Yoko Ono, John Lennon's widow, obviously, and this guy who was Lennon's personal assistant in the months leading up to his death in 1980. And so, well... To understand why Yoko Ono is getting angry that this man has given this interview about working for John Lennon when at the end of the day 
he did work for John Lennon. And you might be thinking, well, even if at some point he said he wasn't going to talk about that time he worked for John Lennon, you can kind of understand why he might want to talk about that time he worked for John Lennon. But I suppose you need to know the backstory here because even if you ultimately think that Yoko Ono is sort of overreacting with this new lawsuit that was filed last week, it is certainly true that this guy, Frederick Seaman, was on the wrong side of the origins of the dispute between him and Yoko Ono. Yes. So as you say, Seaman worked for Lennon in the run up to his death in 1980. And then he carried on working in some capacity with Yoko Ono after Lennon's death. But the following year, 1981, she fired him after it emerged that he'd been taking items from Lennon's home, which included diaries, photographs, fan letters and unreleased recordings. That ended up resulting in a criminal case and ultimately Seaman pleaded guilty to second degree larceny and was ordered to return all of the items that he'd taken. But that is not the end of the story. As you said, this has gone on for a long time now. In 1991, he angered Lennon's family by publishing a book called The Last Days of John Lennon. And then later in the 1990s, Yoko Ono discovered that Seaman had not in fact returned all of the items he'd taken in 1981, despite that having been part of his criminal conviction being ordered to do so. Yeah, so all of that resulted in another round of legal action, so civil litigation, which was launched by Yoko Ono in 1999. It took a few years to work its way through the system. But ultimately, in 2003, as part of that legal battle, Seaman made a statement in court where he basically apologised to Yoko Ono and said that some of the things he'd written in his book and interviews he'd given with various media, he'd said stuff about John Lennon and Yoko Ono, which were not true and he apologized for that and that was when he said okay that's it I'm never ever ever going to talk about John Lennon Yoko Ono or my time working for them ever again. Yes so that was a formal part of his settlement with Yoko Ono over this lawsuit. He promised again to return all the things he'd taken or the things that he hadn't yet given back and he promised to never ever publicly talk about his time working with Lennon again. Yeah, a specific line from this statement that he delivered in court in 2003 was, it is impossible to undo what has taken place, but it stops here and now. And it seems that it did stop there and then for quite some time until we hit this 80th birthday milestone. And, well, seemingly the temptation to mark that time was too much. And so it resulted in this interview and last week a new lawsuit from Yoko Ono, which says, despite his clear and unambiguous obligations and his oath that it stops here and now, on 10th of September 2020, Seaman sat for an interview from his apartment, flanked by Lennon memorabilia and willfully, wantonly and cultimaciously violated the clear and unambiguous terms of that previous agreement. Now, one interesting thing is, in the statement that he gave back in 2003, which I'm basing on what is in the new lawsuit, I, I didn't manage to find records from the 2003 court case, although they're probably somewhere, but I did read the new lawsuit that Yoko Ono filed last week, and that has presumably accurately represented what was said in court. And actually, in that statement, it does say that he pledged not to write about John Lennon ever again. It does specifically say right. I think when you were paraphrasing, you might have said talk, but actually it says right. So I don't know if he's going to turn around and say, well, I didn't write this time. 
I just said it in an interview. Although... Yeah, he didn't write the interview. Well, there, there, there's another aspect of that which, which could <laughs> trip him up. Well, exactly. <laughs> in, in the interview, one of the things that he revealed was that he's got more things to say about his time with John Lennon. And so that book from the 1990s, The Last Days of John Lennon, which caused lots of uh, upset when it was first published, he was like, oh, I've got more stories to tell. My plan is to revise and extend and expand that book and get it out there. Now, he hasn't actually done that, of course, although that does kind of suggest that he doesn't have a perfect memory of what it was he said in court 17 years ago. I mean, maybe that's not surprising. But whatever remains to be seen if he tries to use that sneaky get out that I spotted there in the lawsuit. But Yoko Ono's team are having none of that because remember, he did say in 2003 that it stops here and now. And I think the argument would be that covers any sharing of stories about John Lennon in any form whatsoever. Certainly, Yoko's team think that he has caused a lot of damage with this interview. Yes, the lawsuit goes on. As a direct consequence of Siemens' actions, Mrs Lennon, that's Yoko Ono, has suffered and will suffer irreparable harm. By this action, Mrs Lennon seeks to again try to disabuse Seaman that he is entitled to exploit the name and intellectual property of Mrs Lennon. Unless otherwise ordered by this court again and held in contempt and punished for his contumacious behaviour, it is clear that Siemens' abuses will continue. I mean, that's... Contumaciously and contumacious. contumacious. I, uh, that's a new one. Obviously, Yoko Ono's lawyers have a thesaurus to hand, it seems. Mm. So, yeah, the uh, lawsuit accuses Seaman of fraud, breach of contract and copyright infringement and seeks an injunction, a new injunction, restraining Seaman from doing any future interviews or anything like that, certainly from doing another version of his book. And she would like damages at least... $150,000 is what they are seeking for. So, yeah, another interesting lawsuit filed in the American courts last week. Doesn't particularly require any understanding of any specific bit of the law or any copyright technicalities or anything like that. I guess, like with the Travis Scott case, you just need to understand the sequence of events. Although, just like with the Travis Scott case, we only have the sequence of events from one side. And it will be interesting to see if this guy responds, and if so, if he has a different version of events. Yes, but it is fair to say that as the various things going on around this birthday milestone happen, Yoko Ono would like you to not look at anything involving Frederick Seaman. If you're looking for something related to a seemingly minor administrative employee in the Beatles and John Lennon story, there is a documentary called Good Old Frieda about their secretary, and that's good. So uh, go and watch that instead and uh, ignore any personal assistant stuff. But that is all we've got time for on this edition of Setlist. Do subscribe and uh, rate and review. And if you have any questions or comments about anything we've discussed on this episode, you can email us, setlist at unlimitedmedia.co.uk. You can find us on social media. We're all over that sort of thing, unless it's like any of the new ones, like TikTok and stuff. We're too old. But uh, yeah, social media, Instagram, we've got that. So get in there. Setlist is the music business podcast from CMU. It's presented by Andy Morton, Chris Cook. And for more on CMU, go to completemusicupdate.com. <laughs>